Hey, Summit Church, this is the concluding teaching in our series on the Holy Spirit, or their spiritual formation series known as the Spirit, in which we have been in the midst of these several spiritual formations mini-series that we've been doing on different practices and ways to form yourself into the image of Jesus. We have also decided to do this series on the Holy Spirit to know how do we access the Spirit or how do we form ourselves into this image of Jesus through the Spirit? Because that's truly the, the power in which it's done. And so if we don't have that, then we can we can do activity until we're, we're blue in the face or until we're, you know, just passing out with exhaustion. But ultimately, it's not going to yield anything unless the Spirit does something. And we want to conclude this series with a teaching on how the Spirit brings revival. Revival is something that we're probably vaguely aware of in American thought. There's things like the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening uh, in American history, if you've studied uh, those periods in which many people were coming back to the church and coming to faith. And and it was, you know, the church goes forward in huge numbers. And there's ways that the church has always looked at that and tried to be like, man, how do we recreate that? How do we, how do we see that go across the world? Uh, and, and maybe a lot of us are even skeptical that it's possible that revival is just like, man, I don't even know if that, that can happen again. I mean, we're in such a post-Christian world, a place where people look at Christianity, not as just like a silly idea, but a dangerous idea. It's like, man, like we not only need to, to just, you know, pity the Christians, we need to like, you know, silence them and get them, get them away. Sometimes like it's taken a little too far what actually is going on in culture, but in some ways that's an accurate picture of people looking at like, hey, here's this idea that's claiming absolute truth and any idea that, or any follower or, or religion or faith that claims an absolute truth and, and claims a, a desire that they must, you must come and accept their faith is, is not only irrelevant, but it's, it's dangerous. It, it leads to extremism. And of course, it certainly can and has Christianity and all all faith traditions. In fact, all non faith, even agnosticism or atheism, has led to uh, to extremism and, and, and dangerous things. I mean, that's always the point that people make. Like, man, Christians are like you know, and religion causes extremism and danger and and, and violence. It's like, well, no, people do that. People do that with anything. Uh, you can do that with Marxism, you can do that with communism, you can do that with atheism, you can do that with anything. Um, so Christianity is no exception to that. Anyway, so when we're talking about revival, we have to define it uh, as from its cousin, renewal. Renewal and revival actually are two things that go together, and just for the sake of, of clearness, I'm going to define them both. And I'm going to use the definitions of Mark Sayers, who is a pastor in Melbourne, Australia, and an author, um, and he writes the book Reappearing Church, which is in some ways kind of a follow-up from a book earlier called Disappearing Church, in which he talked about how the church is really disappearing in the Western world, and then he talks about how maybe it's possibly reappearing in the, both the Western world and all the world, and Reappearing Church. And there he talks about renewal, and then renewal uh, and, and revival. Renewal he defines as when individuals or groups of people, such as a church or a culture or a nation or you know, whatever it might be, experience life when reconnected with God's presence. And so individuals or people reconnect with God's presence and life comes back in. It's like, uh, I listened to uh, the teaching on this where I got these definitions or got the idea to, to use these definitions at Summit Northwest where uh, Bobby Barber talked about, like, he said we're always, and he, I don't know if he's quoting Sayers or not, but he said we're always either 
seeking renewal or or desiring after renewal and it's just something that's always in our mind whether we seek it through a christian form of renewal or just you know we just want life uh, that is the human nature is to move towards life away from death move towards joy and and light and beauty and so uh that's that's ultimately when we seek it and when we find god's presence and we find life there that is renewal as defined by by christianity or the bible or, or yeah just the scriptures now, revival is when renewal goes viral. So you have individuals or groups experiencing life when reconnecting God's presence, and that goes viral across the world. And we are very acquainted with what viral means now that we are in COVID-19 and understand what viral is. Uh, and so, yeah, when that goes viral, that's, that's revival. And I think to open up scripturally or, or to talk scripturally, I think the best way to talk about what revival looks like is, well, I don't know, this is the thing that I always think of, is Matthew 13, 31 through 32. This is a parable of the mustard seed. And it is told in Matthew 13. It's also in Luke 13. It's in Mark 4. It's in, yeah, it's on all the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the Gospels uh, outside of John. And you, uh, I'll read it, Matthew 13, 31 through 32. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I'm actually going to read 33 too, because this is a second parable uh, that he puts right next to it, and it, I think they're meant to go together. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So leaven, of course, you know, like you know, yeast, and you put that in just, you know, you can hide it in three measures of flour. I mean, I'm not exactly sure how that is, but I'm sure that's a lot of flour. And then you just put a little leaven in, in three measures of flour, and then it fills the entire bread. It's just a little tiny thing that just grows and grows and grows and becomes viral. And this idea of a seed, the mustard seed, something so small but yet grows to be the tallest of trees that, that birds can sit and rest in and make, and make nests in the branches. I mean, that's this idea of revival and, and spiritual revival, and it's this idea of seeds. Um, they're, just the way that a seed works, I mean, Jesus is always referring back to seeds and trees and these ideas in Scripture and uh, uh, his kingdom. It's like, man, what about something that's so small that just like starts to build momentum over time until all the point it's it's something that's way taller than, you know, I mean, I look at a seed and I'm like, I'm way better than a seed. But then you look at like a, an oak tree or you look like a redwood tree and those redwood trees are like, you know, the size of skyscrapers. You see pictures of people walking next to them, and they just like, they look like little just ants next to these trees, and they come from these tiny little seeds that you can you know fit thousands of them in your handfuls, and and so that's this idea that God's like, and Jesus is constantly referring to saying, "Hey, my kingdom is like that," and and you think like, okay, where do you see that show up? Because uh, yeah, okay. I, I don't know if I've seen little seeds grow into major works, but actually you have. If you think scripturally, you can think of such as the church. The church starts, we all know, as a group of disciples 
more than just the 12 disciples, but there were certainly really kind of those were the main focus, but really just a small handful of people beyond them in a small room where they're all sitting there and uh, after Jesus has died, raised, and ascended, and they're sitting there waiting for, you know, God says, wait, you know, I'm going to send you out into all the world, and I'm going to have you make disciples, uh, every tongue, tribe, and nation, teaching them to observe and, and learn and discipling them to everything that I've taught you. But wait for my Holy Spirit. Wait for the Spirit to fall upon you. So you see them in the day of Pentecost. They're up in the upper room of this, this, this building. They're just sitting there and they're praying. And all of a sudden, a wind blows and starts shaking the sides of the doors. And that's, that, that's the idea of the Spirit, the Ruach, the breath of God blowing upon them. And then they go out and immediately there's this group of people that are in for the day of Pentecost. And it's a multi, you know, just people from every all these different nations. And all of a sudden, the apostles, uh, these disciples that become the apostles, the sent ones of God, are able to speak all the languages of these people and they start telling of who Jesus is to all these people and they start these churches that go out everywhere. But then not only that, then you get the church that is at that point kind of hold up, uh, you know, even after that, it stays mainly in Jerusalem for the longest time. They're just like staying in Jerusalem and, you know, you keep getting the sense of like, well, Jesus said he was going to send them out everywhere, but they're just staying in Jerusalem. So all of a sudden, what does God do? But he sends persecution to Jerusalem and it spreads Christians out all over, all over the, the known world at that time. And then of course it sends Paul out on these missionary journeys and he starts going around launching these churches. And so the reason Paul was able to do that was because the Roman Empire existed. The Roman Empire was just, you know, there's been nothing quite like it that we've ever seen before, ever seen since, of just a point where Rome unified the known world at the time. I mean, the Roman Empire, I mean, there's, of course, that saying that the sun never set on the Roman Empire because it stretched from Britain all the way across Europe, uh, across into Turkey, almost into Central Asia, and down to Northern Africa. I mean, there was always a point before the sun went down at the, you know, easternmost part of, or the westernmost part of uh, the, the empire, it was already coming up on the easternmost part. And so the sun never set because it was so expansive. And Rome builds that and they unify it all and they do it through a couple things. One is that they, they unify it through their road system, the Roman roads. All roads lead to Rome. And that was because Rome built out from itself roads that went across to all of its empire and so that they could travel, you could travel within the empire. Uh, and then also you had uh, the ability to travel because of the Pax Romana, the peace, uh, the Roman peace. I mean, if you were outside the Roman Empire, you were, you know, killed by Roman soldiers. But if you were inside the Roman Empire, it was peaceful. So people felt able to travel. So you could travel around and trade and go to these different cities because it was peaceful, because of Roman roads. Also, there was a common language. They had Latin that was spreading across all the world and Rome was unifying people through Latin. So even if it wasn't your first language, you could speak or you could read Latin and people could communicate all over the world. Also, they had aqueducts. They had the ability to take water where it wasn't. And so it was able to then expand where you could have populations and the size of populations you could have in certain drier climates. And lastly, you had the post. You had the postal system, which just allowed communication to travel amongst all over the Roman world. And in that system that is completely set up, not by the church in any way, shape, or form, enters Paul and the Holy Spirit. And Paul, and through all the Christians that are scattered out uh, from the persecution that they experienced in, in Jerusalem, um, 
They are then, Paul's going around and using the road system to travel around in this peaceful time. He's able to travel around to several Roman cities and plant churches. And then not only that, because of the postal sermon and uh, postal service uh, and uh, and your, your common language of, of Greek and Latin, he's able then to send letters into all of these places that then they go to the churches that they were meant to, but then they're also circulate amongst other churches and they're able to build a common theology of the church and who Jesus is amongst all people. And so you have the church that, that Paul is able to build and then disciple from afar. And he's able to build this viral network not because of anything that he did, not because he was brilliant, but because the Spirit planted these little seeds. They planted the Roman Empire. They planted roads. Uh, the Spirit planted the postal system, planted a common language, planted aqueducts, planted all these things, and then enters into that system and takes it over and creates renewal that goes viral. The Spirit alivens the system, blows on it, and is able to all of a sudden come alive and produce the church that goes across the the entire known world and is now here in, in America as well as it's blowing up in house churches in China and, and is you know most viral in places like South America and Africa. I mean people always look at the West and be like, man, the church is dying. But if you look in the south or you look in the east, I mean, the church is exploding and it's still here too. It's still here and it's still growing in different ways, even in the West. And so that's one example of revival that the spirit alivens. And, and here's the one thing that you need to see about this is that we can't control it. We can only just prayerfully ask for it to move. I mean, sometimes these seeds go and they take centuries to grow. I mean, the seeds of prayer, I mean, you, you study revivals uh, that happen, the Welsh revival, I mean, the American revivals, of the Scottish revivals, you'll see in it, sometimes you'll find events that they point back to of people deciding to pray for some a movement of God that will happen sometimes thousand, a thousand years prior. But they point to that saying, man, that was when they were planting seeds that all of a sudden exploded in these huge revivals. And, and so those people never saw it. And these are things where Americans are always just like, man, I, I was thinking I was going to pray for something for like, you know, a couple months or maybe weeks and it was going to happen. Or maybe I got to pray for 10 years. I mean, that seems like forever. And now you're telling me I might pray my entire life and see nothing and it happens like, you know, 10 generations after me or, or 20 generations. Yeah. Yeah. That's how God does it. He puts little seeds in the ground of people's prayers. And some of the things that some of the great works we've seen in our day could have been prayed hundreds, thousands of years before us that God grew up and all of a sudden exploded into seeds. Uh, I want to look at this really quick of just how we see potential for modern revival going on right now. Because right now, as I said, in the West, you see Christianity and you see this post-Christianity kind of like growing up side by side together. And this I'm borrowing a lot from Mark Sayers. He talks about like these two, two concepts of, yeah, Christianity, post-Christianity. Christianity, of course, being, you know, the, the church and, and Christendom and, and following the way of Jesus. And then post-Christianity, this idea that grew up in the West that like still likes all of the things of Christianity, still likes the Imago Dei, value in all humanity, which is not, you know, accepted around the world. Uh, but all these things, you know, that you see in, in what is usually touted by atheism or agnosticism or, or whatever is actually 
Christian ideals just, you know, it's like we want the kingdom without the king. We want the, the, the truth of Christianity. We just don't want to worship Jesus, so we don't have to submit to Jesus. And so you get post-Christianity, and they're both kind of growing up side by side. And all of a sudden, post-Christianity gets really big and really kind of scary. And the church starts being like, oh, man, we're getting forced out of the culture. But then he says, in the midst of that, uh, this is Mark Sayers again. He's like, you, you know, you have these two, two things growing up side by side. Christianity, post-Christianity, and then while those are growing up thinking they're just competing with each other, all of a sudden you look up and you realize, holy cow, we're in a mix, all these different systems, all these different religions, all these different cultures, and now, like, while Christianity and post-Christianity look like they're competing to, like, win the West, like, now the West isn't even really, like, on the ascendancy anymore. Like, a lot of the ascendancy you'll see in a lot of books is being written about the East and how Asian nations are, you know, you have entire generations of Asians that have grown up not thinking about the dominance of the West, but thinking about the ascendance of the East. And that the West is just like bored and, and streaming Netflix until into boredom and, and this French idea of ennui of just like this depression, anxiety, boredom that just reigns over the West. And it's just like, we're just at a point where like, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, either make America great again or just, you know, build a wall and keep it great. You know, it's the, the, the Trump ethic of like, yeah, that's Trump's vision of like, let's make America great again. Let's just go back to how we were and then like build a wall and keep other people out. Or in this, this campaign so far, uh, instead of make America great again, I've seen the America first. It's like, let's just focus on America. And in the midst of that, you have America kind of going in that direction or the West going in that direction. How do we just kind of like, you know, maybe progress, but maybe also just kind of like, you know, stay where we're at, you know, and it's kind of slowly declining. But then you see in the East, you get the, the belt and road, uh, which is this uh, something that came in China in 2013. They uh, was once called One Belt, One Road, which meant that China was trying, it is since 2013, trying to build infrastructure to connect the whole world to China. I mean, it's the back to the Roman road and all roads lead to Rome. How can China connect all of the world? And so right now they're trying to build a train from uh, China to Seattle. And, you know, that just is mind-blowing in tons of ways. But they're trying to do that, and they're trying to build, you know, flight patterns and train patterns to go all around the world. Because China's realizing, hey, it's, it's not so much about, you know, let's just make China great. It's the world is becoming great and diverse and, and powerful, and let's connect all the world and have influence over all the world. And so it's a completely different system in which they're participating in. And, and in that... You have, as, as I mentioned before, the church is declining in the West. Post-Christianity is growing. And when you think like, oh no, what's going on? Man, if you're looking from a Western vantage point from either Western Europe or America, you're like, man, the church is really losing relevancy. But if you're looking like in Kenya, the church is exploding. If you're looking in uh, you know, South American nations right now, the church is exploding. You're looking in China, it's exploding. And why is it, uh, one of the reasons it's exploding in China is because China is building this belt and road system, trying to connect the whole world, and then they're sending their local mainland Chinese to places all over the world, such as Kenya. Right now, Mandarin Chinese is uh, the fastest growing language in Kenya uh, to be learned because of the amount of Chinese that are, are traveling to Kenya for uh, industry and for work and trade. And in that, these Chinese uh, people who are from mainland China, who are 
raised in an atheistic system under an atheistic government are all of a sudden finding themselves stumbling into Kenyan churches, Christian churches. So much so that 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 Alpha, which is a a organization that exists to build uh, it builds classes and curriculum to have the conversation uh, with people about you know what is God, what is Christianity, what is Scripture from like a perspective of like maybe you know nothing or maybe you you, you kind of think it's all you know bullocks to borrow a British term and you just you know have put no stock in it at all. Well, Alpha is kind of like well let's start from that conversation and let's just start talking about like, you know, philosophy and science on that and just like kind of move to the idea of like, what if Christianity, what if the scriptures kind of point to all of this? And right now they said that they are getting a huge, Alpha is getting a huge push for, to get Mandarin copies of the program, of the curriculum sent to Kenya. So Kenyans are needing Mandarin copies of Alpha to teach Chinese people about Jesus in Kenya. And then they, those, I mean, those Chinese return to China, and then you see the church blowing up there because the spirit is alivening the system. I mean, we're in this time where we're creating an increasingly global world. And not only that, the internet, you know, is just like connecting everywhere. You can be everywhere. You have the entire world in your pocket. But yet, it's also the sense of like everyone has a voice, so therefore nobody's voice can get really loud or really big unless you just, you know, you you become the most divisive and, and the most extreme voice. And so it's only like the extreme left and the extreme right. Those are the most like angry and uh, are able to go viral. But what if in that system that's being prepared so the spirit can enliven it and explode out into seeing every tongue, tribe, and nation come to know and to follow all that Jesus commanded. I mean, revival, not only what if that is happening, what if some of that is, is, what if some of those seeds that are planted are starting to come now? I mean, revival often happens in seasons of great unrest. Enter 2020, COVID-19, racial unrest like we've never seen before. And all of a sudden you see movement that has been prayed for in, in racial equality. I mean, they're talking about changing the Mississippi flag to remove the Confederacy or, or, change, or removing Confederate um, uh, monuments and, and statues and, 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 and Confederate flags off of, of, of suburban symbols. Uh, you know, stuff that had been asked for a long time. The Redskins, the Washington Redskins, the football team, I mean, there's real pressure on them. There's been pressure for years for them to change their name. And all of a sudden, now they're like like investors and, own, you know, minority owners in the team are starting to say, we need to change our name. I mean, there's a real movement to stuff that had been, you know, talked about for a long time. But then simultaneously, you see counter movements. I mean, that's you just look at the internet right now, and it's just full of people freaking out in grocery stores, uh, in Costco, and everywhere because, like, you just see these counter movements wherever there's big movements happening. You see people just freaking out and being like, "No, we don't want to like, we don't want change." And 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 so you see kind of the, the clashing of change and the resistance of change happening right now. And so, what if this? is A, a time of great revival, and then a time for the church maybe to start. The Spirit is going to use the systems that are created both now and then, or maybe it's, maybe maybe this isn't a time. I mean, who knows? Maybe this is a time where he's just planting more seeds that are going to grow up for a thousand years. My question is, how can we as the church pursue revival? How can we, Soma Church, Soma Downtown, in you know Indianapolis, Indiana, 
pursue revival in the midst of a time where it just seems like, man, I, I can't get my voice to be heard in the, you know, in the halls of, of Twitter or Facebook or, you know, all these places. Well, it's because you've got to think of how do you pursue revival? The church, here's the, here's, there's a book called How to Change the World in which a, uh, the, the author, you know, looks at all these movements that change the world, looks at Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, looks at Martin Luther and the, and the Reformation. And he says, one thing that's interesting is that there's really no formula to change the world. In fact, none of those people that change the world set out to change the world. He, he kind of comes at the end of it and be like, the great irony is there is no way to try to change the world. The only thing that you see common to everything that changed the world were just people trying to be faithful in their local place, just doing faithful acts that God and the Spirit took and blew up. The Spirit brought revival. I mean, that's the that's the view of Ezekiel, right? Where like Ezekiel goes out into the wilderness and God shows him this valley, this dry desert valley of, of skeletons, of dry bones, and just says like, you know, can these live again? And he's like, man, you know God. And all of a sudden the wind comes, the Spirit, the Ruach of God blows over these bones and they form again and flesh forms on them. And they become this great marching army. They go from the weakest thing in the world fossils in a dry desert that are decaying to the strongest thing in the world, an armed force marching forward. And, and in that, it's, it's just this faithfulness over a long period of time that the spirit then blows on and moves. And so Zach Eswine uh, is an author. He's a modern author uh, from St. Louis, and uh, he's a pastor there. He's one of my favorite modern authors. And he writes in his book, The Imperfect Pastor, which is just a book like talking about pastors like, man, like maybe you don't need to be the most perfect CEO. Maybe you just need to be an imperfect shepherd amongst the sheep. Um, and, and, and he says in that book that one of the main things he keeps saying is that pastors, and I would say this is true of pastors, this is true of all Christians. Let's just change it to Christians because this is true of all Christians. Christians are encouraged to do something fast, big, and famous for the kingdom. However, the kingdom always comes through small activities, mostly overlooked, done over a long period of time. Christians are always pressured to do something fast, big, and famous for the kingdom, but instead the kingdom always chooses to come through small activities, mostly overlooked, done over a long period of time. Eugene Peterson calls this, a long obedience in the same direction. That, that's his view of spiritual formation, but I think that's also the view of, of bringing the kingdom, of bringing revival. It's just doing these faithful activities. I mean, Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther, I mean, interesting that they're named after each other and that God used both of them by just them doing faithful acts of obedience that then the Spirit magnified so that we still know their name, whether it be 60 years later or, you know, since, I mean, 500 years later. We still know both of their names because they were doing faithful works that the Spirit blew up. He entered in alive in the system and it went viral. And so how do we change the world? Man, we just, we do the small, simple things. I mean, that's where you see Jesus coming in and, and people are always like saying like, man, we want a sign. How do we know that you're the true king and that the kingdom's here? And he's like, well, man, look around. I mean, the, the blind are going to see, the lame are going to walk, you know. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And they're always just like, now nah, we want to see the big stuff. And the interesting thing is we actually have the same objection today. People look out at the world and be like, man, where is God? Like, God is not at the helm. This place is chaotic. It's crazy. I mean, nothing is going on right. But at the same time, the kingdom is not built by 
sending in the tanks and the armies. No, like the, the kingdom is built by sending in the meek and the mild and the poor and those who start hospitals and schools and nonprofits and, and, and groups that help disadvantage youth and, and, and just see these small shepherding acts, these small activities mostly overlooked done over a long period of time so that the, by the time that the rulers and the despots and the, the demagogues and the ones with the tanks and the armies look around and realize that they've been outdone by these, these small little hospitals and these small little viral movements of, of starting nonprofits or again, not even doing something completely that organized. It's just neighbors neighboring really well over a long period of time and loving and serving and sacrificing and making relationship and and talking about Jesus and seeing viral movements not built by tanks but built by small mustard seeds that go into the ground the smallest of seeds that grow to the largest of trees so big that birds of the air can come and build nests in it and that's how the kingdom's built that is a kingdom of revival so in this time as a church we ask how can you participate in that it's what are you doing? What is the small everyday activity you're doing? Which, what relationships are you building? What uh, efforts are you making in, in nonprofit organized ways and in, in big, you know, fantastical ways or in just small everyday pursuit of relationship, pursuit of, of, of bringing the kingdom, pursuit of generosity? And then how are we also entering in prayer? I mean, this is a time to continually be not only praying for the seeds that were planted long ago to come alive, but to be praying for seeds to be planted in this time and this season, whether this be the time of great revival or we're still planting seeds that are a thousand years away from being harvested. How can we enter into the work of prayer, not expecting it to come? I love the a quote I heard of a, a pastor who was in a, a monastery for just like a time of renewal for himself. And when he was there, he was talking with a, the Catholic priest in this monastery and the Catholic priest like said to him, like he said, you Protestants baffle me because he said, you Protestants, you always measure time in years and decades, but the Catholics measure time in centuries and millennia. Because if you look at when things are created and done, that's when it happens. Protestants always get frustrated because man, we've been working on this for years and decades and nothing's happened. And you got to look and be like, well, Maybe you got to work on it for centuries and millennia. Maybe you're going to be long dead before anything happens. But faithfully pursue small activities, mostly overlooked, done for a long period of time, and day in, day out, plant seeds that grow into the kingdom of God.